Welcome to the Wimlex Show, episode number 24. Today with Huub Vermeule, the CEO of Bo.com, the Amazon of the Netherlands, with like 2 billion in revenue, a very, very successful case on the European e-commerce market. The show is presented to you by Lena Hackeler, based in Stockholm, Willem Blom, based in Amsterdam, and me, Alexander Graf, based in Hamburg, and founder of Spriker Systems, the e-commerce solution everyone is talking about right now in the European market. With Rüb, the CEO of Bo.com, we are talking about why everyone in Holland is talking about Bo.com and why in some disciplines they are even better uh, for the customer than what the German customer have seen so far from the Amazon.de marketplace. Um, if I need to sum it up, what is the difference between Amazon.de and Bo.com? I would say they have achieved the position of the fair marketplace. And with Rüb, I'm discussing if this position is sustainable, if they can defend it, even in case when Amazon is entering the market, and how they can manage the growth. And they're growing a lot on their 2 billion uh, run rate they are right now uh, in the next years. And what kind of limits the growth. So have fun with the podcast. Um, Rüb is the e-commerce executive um, in the Benelux markets. And I think all the listeners here can learn a lot from what he has to say. Rüb, welcome to the Wimlex show. Already the second time because we lost <laughs> the audio file the first uh, time. We are here at uh, one of the main warehouses of uh, Bo.com. You're the CEO. Maybe you can explain a little bit uh, what Bo.com is doing and what your role at Bo.com is. Yeah, Bo.com is an, uh, uh, an online uh, shop that's uh, been around for almost exactly 20 years. We celebrated our 20 years uh, this year. We had a Strong focus on the Netherlands. We started focusing on the Netherlands uh, completely. Um, in fact, we were established by Bertelsmann. Yeah, that's why we are called BOL. That's Bertelsmann Online. Bertelsmann had the intention to set up uh, an online presence for books and music 20 years ago. Um, they abandoned the idea already three years later on um, when they thought that internet was going to be a hype and it would never work. Um, so they, uh, they closed most of the ball organizations, except for the Dutch one. We were sold. Uh, we were initially sold to three German shareholders who sold their share again in 2009. Um, but effectively, since 2002, 2003, we're an independent Dutch company. Um, and um, we started selling books. We expanded to entertainment products, CDs, DVDs, games, electronics. And as from 2012, we have a strategy that really focuses on selling the vast range of products, non-food items that you can sell. And since that time, we're also aiming to be a platform. Can you give us uh, some rough numbers about the Bo.com organization? How many people are working there? How many products you're selling? What kind of revenue uh, you're targeting for 2019? Yeah, we're we're, selling, we're um, selling 17 million uh, different, uh, different uh, articles. Uh, we sell those to uh, the Netherlands and to Belgium. Uh, up until now, we're only Dutch-speaking, so we're approaching the Dutch-speaking part uh, of Belgium. Uh, we have in our offices uh, in Utrecht, we have like 1,800 people, uh, and still counting, I should say, because by the end of the year, early next year, it will be 2,000 people, but it's just office people. And then you have people working in the warehouses and in the call centers. So altogether, I think, Bol.com. Uh, is employing something between five and six thousand people. 
um, and we will dig into later so how how these uh, how these departments are, are structured. Um, maybe one of the most important questions from a German perspective is how was it possible that in a market uh, like the Benelux or in the, especially the Netherlands, uh, Bold.com um, has established itself um, mm -hmm. as the most powerful marketplace, whereas in all the other markets uh, like Germany, Austria, and now more and more even Switzerland, Amazon was so powerful, even though other players like the Auto Group or Quelle mm -hmm. um, have been around uh, um, in the market. Do you have an explanation for that? Because I'm pretty sure uh, you have been asked this question a lot. Yes, and there's, there's multiple explanations <laughs> um, because you never know which part was the winning part. But what I can say is that from day one, we were very much aware that there is a first mover advantage. So we always were in a hurry and we still are in a hurry as a company. We have to move fast and we have to be the first one to do the things that are most um, useful for our customers. So we started with a strong customer focus. And the customer focus, by the way, was not a clear strategy. The fact was that in the early days when we started, we were 20 people and none of those people knew anything about retail. So we had no experience in retail. We knew something about marketing, about tech, business, but not about retail. So the only way to figure out how this would work was by trying things and see how customers responded. And we found out that if you really focus on the customer response and build from that, that you can move fast. So we had customer focus. We had the ambition to move fast. We had the ambition to build a brand. Um, and I think that's, that's the things that worked. The, the, the focus on the customer, um, for instance, uh, made it that we quite early, in quite early days, introduced um, invoice payments. Because... By the turn of the century, when uh, e-commerce was, was getting too big to be something, the only payment method you had online was a credit card. And in the Netherlands, a credit card was something that people don't have. And if they have it, they don't dare to use it on the internet. They think it's scary. It's, it's not a good experience. So we said, if that is the biggest problem and we have a customer focus, we should overcome it. Yeah. And we should start allowing them to pay after they receive the book. That was kind of a gamble in the beginning. Um, but that step, and I think it symbolizes the way we focused relentlessly on the customer because there is a risk. You never know if anybody's going to pay. You have to figure out how you make sure you don't get fraud. But by choosing the solution for the customer first and then solving all the problems, I think we were able to be a customer-centric company that moved fast. Um, and that was just the first in many of the things that we did. Well, you um, you told us that you're moving into the marketplace uh, um, um, direction. How big is like the share of products you are owning, or where you're you're taking the risk in your own warehouse versus stuff you're selling uh, through the marketplace model? Yeah, last year in 2018, uh, more than 40 of what we sold, 44.0, was sold by our partners. Um, early this year, I had a presentation and I told everybody that my estimate was that within two years more than half of what we sell would be sold by partners. And what we see today is that it's moving way faster than the two years that I predicted. And, and how did it start? So when we are talking to companies in Germany or even in Switzerland that want to uh, move into the marketplace model, not by driven by customer centricity, but rather driven by the Amazon uh, uh, effect, yeah. they do have a very hard time to do it like on a technical perspective because it's very hard to onboard product from other partners to open uh, the platform and it's also um, as tough on the internal side because the the own uh, purchasing department say okay yeah. we don't want to have comp competition on the product yeah. so please go with product first that 
uh, we don't buy in the long tail um, approach. So, so how, how have yeah, well, you thought this? First of all, about Amazon, that many of the, uh, the, the international comp- b- people that look at our company, they say, well, you look a lot like Amazon, did you copy them? Um, and actually, we didn't. We really went for customer focus. And of course, we looked at eBay, Amazon, uh, Google, any other company, see what they were doing and see if we could do something with it. But the aim was never to copy Amazon. But if you're customer focused, you come very often up with similar solutions. Fast delivery, good service. Um, And one of the things that we found out really early on was that a very wide range of catalog is very important. Already in 2004 or 5, we started selling uh, English textbooks. And we had a vast catalog. We had over a million titles. Mm. And after we sold something like 55, 60,000 first books, we thought to ourselves, well, how many titles are we selling? Because we were just importing them from a a wholesaler. And to our surprise, we sold 35,000 different titles over 50,000, 60,000 books. And for us, that was really a learning saying, wait a minute, you can't go with the top 10 or top 100. You have to have everything. That has always been our goal and it was always successful. Um, and then in 2008, we came up with the idea, well, we're very good at books. What can we do more? And in, in the Dutch market, there's 80,000 Dutch books that are still on print. It's a small market. And if the sales goes below something like 100 titles in X time, they stop printing them. But there's still demand for those books. And we said, how can we make this work? Um, and the obvious way to do this was to ask our customers to have their second-hand book and sell them to the other customers through our website. So we introduced second-hand books. And we saw again that if you ask people to participate, that you can uh, improve your, um, your promise. Your promise is we have everything. Uh, you make your range wider. And that started to work. So when we go fast forward to 2012, that was when we said... Well, well, it's nice that we do books and CDs and games and, 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 and toys and electronics, but we should have the ambition to do everything. If you want to be the first mover, the Dutch market is now ready for everything. So we have to be the company that sells as many categories as we can. And we can't make them long tail fast enough. We could bring them alive, but we couldn't bring them, couldn't bring them long tail alive. Let's, let's ask other companies to help us because we had this secondhand book mechanism and we sort of tweaked it into something that professional sellers can use. Secondhand means that uh, if I bought a book at a Bolt.com platform, I could uh, I could sell it through the platform. Yeah, and it will be integrated into our sales. So you can see we have this book for sales, new 90 euros and 12 euros. It's secondhand. And then okay. if you order it, you pay with Bolt.com and we give yeah. you the order and you ship it. That's how the Amazon marketplace also started. Yes, probably. But that's... The, this, the thing is, it's parallel, but it's, it really came from our own thoughts. It's hard to believe because it is very often looks like a copy. And some, sometimes I, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that sometimes it is a copy. But in many cases, it was just focusing on the customer, doing the logical next step. If you're so focused on these things, you know that when um, you get bigger, that you should be a true partner for your sellers. Um, and it's one or two years ago that we said, well, if we want to be... if we if the sales of our partners is growing faster than our own sales, which it does, we saw last year that the sales of our partners and the year before was growing way faster than the sales that our own buyers were making. So if, that, if that's our success, then we should make room for those sellers and we should be a fair marketplace. We should not compete with our sellers. And that's one of the things that we saw that other platforms do and we don't want that. 
We shouldn't compete with our sellers. We should just be one of the sellers on our platform. Well, but what, what does that mean? Let's say there's a, um, a special um, equipment or smartphones. Mm -hmm. uh, you see um, your marketplace partners uh, sell a lot. Yeah. Would you then forbid your purchasing department to buy especially those smartphones yeah. because it will, will lead to a, a competition? They won't buy it. They won't buy it unless we see that the sellers that we have have too long delivery times or mm -hmm. the prices are not right. Because, of course, it has to be a good proposition for the customer. So we only solve problems on our website. And in a certain way, um, we decided two years ago to flip it. Because initially we said, we want to build these categories. We want to move fast. So there's a lot of gaps in our uh, proposition. Let's ha ask others to fill these gaps. And now we turn it around. We said, let's ask others to, to make our store work and let's use our own cap uh, capacity to fill the gaps. And how does a business model work on the, um, on the marketplace side? So I, I think on your, if you're doing the business on your own, yep. it's like the standard product margin. You're yep. buying product, yep. selling product, yep. and, the, uh, and the difference between uh, those prices, that's yours. How's the business model uh, for marketplace partners? Yeah, of course, we, we charge uh, a fee for our uh, partners. Um, and, and in our internal calculation, we, we set it up in such a way that we, we are agnostic into whether we buy it or they buy it. Mm. We run to similar margins. Um, so we just, we, we just don't care. The only thing we care about is having the right price for the right delivery time in a full catalog. Um, and one of the things that we do now, for instance, is we do analysis. We call it white spot analysis to figure out if we have gaps in the catalog. And you can do this based on your own logic and say we have a we need a TV in this dimension and, and this quality, it has to be LCD and in this price range. And there's a gap because in some part of the price range there's nothing, there's something missing. That's one of the ways to look at it. And the other way is customers keep looking for a product that just isn't there. We do these analysis to figure out if our catalog is okay. If it's not okay, we make what we call the white uh, a white spot list. And we put a white spot list on the platform. So our sellers are invited to fill the white spots. And our buyers won't won't fill them. We just wait for the sellers to fill them. And so it's like uh, what we are often hearing uh, from in, uh, internal Amazon discussions is that kind of two companies fight not fighting yeah, each other but yeah. competing. Uh, for yeah, they are other. competing, and that's that's one of the, the things that we we heard about Amazon years ago, already many years ago, uh, and we said we're never going to do that because it's not going to work. It's very aggressive. It's very uh, result-driven. It's very much, uh, in the American culture, bonus-driven. It's individual-driven. And you can't combine those that attitude with customer centricity. It's impossible. You have to have a belief that what you do as a company is valuable for the customer, that whatever you do needs to be valuable for the customer. And of course, you have to be aware of how you make money. Um, and if you start competing into your own in, inside your own company between departments or between departments and the, the platform, then it looks like an interesting way to really drive down prices. But the aggression that you get makes you not customer-centric and not seller-centric. But, but does, but does this uh, uh, non-competing clause also mean that you don't produce your own brands? Uh, oh, definitely. Definitely. One of the things that we very clearly said, we won't go white label. And that's a pity because white label is a nice margin. If you import your own stuff from China or whatever, and you put your label on it, it can be very uh, interesting. And using the data that we have, we know exactly what white label we should produce. We, we know which... So there's no bold.com batteries, no, no bold.com tables. And there won't be. 
and there won't be. It's there, there were discussions, and and the commercial guys really wanted it, and we said no, we are not going to do that, because if we do that, we would be stealing data from the platform and using it to our own advantage. Okay, and in this case, you don't want to not not only not compete with your uh, marketplace partners, but also not with the manufacturers. No, but I think the marketplace par partners are, are competing with manufacturers because our marketplace partners, they have white label stuff. So the price level that you can achieve with white label is still there. It's only not, not delivered by us. Hmm. Okay, and, um, uh, and how vertically integrated is then your service for marketplace partners? Uh, can I use warehouse space here? Sure, can I sure. buy ad space on Dole.com to create my, let's say I have a... I, I want to sell Supercraft cables yeah. Yeah, and I create like a, a new seller at bold.com. Uh, will your ad space team sell me some ads where I can put on the cable category uh, yeah. now super rated Supercraft cables? Yes. Uh, I, I need to write down this. That's a good, yeah. uh, that's a good advertising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we have sponsored products as we call them. Uh, always, always relevant, of course. You won't, you won't see the cable when you're looking for diapers. So it has to be relevant for the customer. Uh, but our sellers can do advertising on our platform. We have the ambition to make it more flexible and more advanced, but it's already there and we see a great future in that so that you really can do your own marketing on the platform, but always relevant and always where the customer expects it, of course. And the same goes for logistics. Um, a, a large number of our partners are already using our logistics. The building which we are today is very much used for seller, uh, uh, handling and, and shipping the goods from our, um, from our partners. Um, and it's very beneficial because the costs are nice because we have, of course, we have scale, so we can give them interesting costs. Uh, and at the same time, um, we see that uh, uh, the quality is high, but also um, the conversion is higher. Sellers that go from s shipping it themselves to shipping it via Bold.com see an additional, an average addi additional um, uh, conversion of 35%. So oh. it's, it's very popular, and it's even so popular that for now, We are building warehouses like crazy and we have to slow down a bit the, the, the pace with which we are connecting new suppliers because the sellers really want it. What is the average delivery time for end customers like for standard stuff like a cable uh, or smartphone appliances or so? Our standard is next day. Standard is next day. And is that kind of a the, the prime program? Uh, no, there is, a, uh, there is a, a program, but there's no program for next day. Next day is what we do. And the cutoff time is always midnight sometimes of course the partners who sell on the platform can't make midnight but if it comes from our warehouses the standard services order before 12 o'clock midnight and you have it the next day oh that's and crazy there's, there's no additional fee if you're above 20 euros and uh, is there is there any any same day delivery ideas or yes we have same day if you order before two o'clock you get it the same day Everywhere uh, in Holland? Everywhere in Holland. And we have Albertijn, which is a supermarket store, which is the biggest supermarket store in the Netherlands. And if you order before two o'clock, then after five o'clock that day, you can pick it up at your local uh, uh, supermarket. And is it used often? Yeah, it's used often. But I, I, I will tell you why I'm asking this, because um, there's a big discussion uh, in, in Germany around the so-called click-on-collect numbers, um, mm -hmm. uh, which are published by uh, a media market. Mm -hmm. And they say yeah. that um, um, 50% now of their online uh, uh, revenue is uh, click-and-collect related. Yeah. And uh, uh, when I started to write about uh, click-and-collect uh, uh, businesses and um, um, uh, in general, uh, businesses um, um, that try to connect their 
stores, uh, uh, with, their, with their online retail. Yeah. Um, I was always wondering, okay, click on collect are customers that really don't trust the uh, online retail uh, uh, because they maybe order online, but they yeah. want to pick the product uh, because I, otherwise they won't trust it and eventually it will die. Uh, uh. Yeah, and it's also attribution. I mean, the, the, the retailers, they want to make sure that they get the online traffic to their stores. So they really are doing their utmost to make sure that they attribute the sales that started with an online um, experience, that it is, is counted as a sale uh, through online. So I think that these numbers, we, we in the Netherlands, we also see that uh, the, the, the multi-channelers, as they call them, who, who sell in stores and online, that they are growing really fast online now, but they started with attribution, doing it properly. So they're far more aware of who, who looked online and then came to the store. So I think their attribution is improving faster than their sales. Hmm. Okay, so the same delivery is possible, uh, though, though you're already on a higher service level uh, in Holland than Amazon uh, is in most German cities. So mm -hmm. there's some same day in Hamburg and Berlin and Munich yeah. uh, with Amazon on logistics. Yeah. Maybe last question uh, is about that, comparing different marketplaces because we have so many German listeners. Um, do you build your own delivery logistics then to end customer logistics? No. No, we use we use local uh, transport companies to do the last mile. Which is UPS, DHL? PostNL in the Netherlands and in Belgium. We also use P-Post. We have some smaller companies that do special stuff for the same day. Uh, because you have to really work with these companies and convince them that this is useful. We introduced evening delivery, uh, which was unknown in the Netherlands. And we really had to work with PostNL and say, you have to do this. And then they needed volume. And, and since we have the volume, we... Came, we came up with a solution together. The same went for Sunday delivery. And we also set up a warehouse in Amsterdam now where we have two-hour delivery, which we will transform into time slot delivery. And also that is a very much a joint venture be, to between us and the delivery company because we are pushing the market. And these companies are kind of traditional, so you really have to move the needle yourself. Yeah, but, but how do you do that? That's an also um, uh, um, another discussion in Germany because DHL, Hermes and, and the others can't keep up with the um, uh, pace of e-commerce yeah. growth yeah. anymore. Um, even though if Amazon never wanted to build its own delivery mm -hmm. logistics, they had to because mm -hmm. otherwise there wouldn't be any same delivery in Munich possible yeah, or Berlin possible. We, see a, we see a similar challenge. We see that it's very difficult for the transport companies now, especially in peak days, to keep up with the pace. So we're working with more than one company. And we also, for the same day, we have a very small company that specialized in same day now that we attached. So we really have to work with our suppliers, look at what they're capable of, plan our volumes ahead and make sure that we have the right position. Because it is, it is true, it's very difficult for the last mile companies to keep up. But it could be whenever you're going to hit like a, a certain ceiling where those delivery mm -hmm. companies can't uh, can't keep up anymore, then you need yeah. to invest into vertical integration of logistics, right? Yeah, yeah I, I can understand that you would be willing to do that, you know, but we're not that far yet. But we keep talking with all kinds of companies because that's, that's the most important thing is you have the right partners. We, we have a long history in not necessarily wanting to own everything. We, the, the building that we are in now is a bull.com building. But the people working at don't work for Bull.com. They work for a logistics service provider that's been working for us since day one. Mm -hmm. The very first building was their building. And then when the investments came bigger, we said, okay, we'll do the investment. We do the engineering, but you will still be running our warehouses. Because mm -hmm. if, if you work together and you, you have the guts to share the, the skill advantages that you have, you can move faster. You can spread the risk, spread the investments and spread the knowledge building. 
So if you're already better in, 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 in certain categories and a fairer uh, a company, a fair marketplace, something that uh, most wannabe Amazon competitors in Germany have not achieved yet, um, uh, why are you not available then in Germany or in markets close by? Well, the reason why we are successful in the Netherlands and in Belgium is because of our strong focus. We have a very, very determined focus on the Belgium and Dutch and Belgium and Dutch market. Um, and, and we've had many occasions, especially when new investing rounds came in, and, and we were sold to the German companies and to the Dutch companies. How much money was invested in, uh, in Bol? I can't tell you yet. That there are some numbers around, and I don't know which number are public and which are okay, not. Okay, so well, it would happen. I won't take the risk of, of, okay. of mentioning the wrong number. Okay. I think the number that, that Al de uh, uh, paid for the company in 2012 is public. Okay. You can look it up. I will take it up. I won't do it by heart because I will make mistakes. Okay. Um, I'm quite sure I know it, but I won't. Just look it up. But it, yeah. that's public. Yeah. Um, but in, especially in these points, when people, when industry specialists look at your company, they say, why don't you go, why don't you go outside the Netherlands? And we always said, if, if I get 100,000 euros to invest in this company, then I have so many ideas what I can do for my customers today in the Netherlands, today in Belgium, that brings so much better proposition that brings so much growth that I, I don't want to waste that money by spreading ourselves too thin, going to huge markets where it takes a lot of time to maybe be successful, where I can do a lot more for the customers that, that made me big and that we still think we can do a lot more for. Because for one thing, we're never happy at Bold.com. We always think it's not good enough. And I, I truly believe we're not good enough. It's, it stinks. I mean, we can do a lot better. That's, that's a very very interesting point because uh, uh, when competitors or wannabe competitors are looking on a website and looking at features you're mm -hmm. you're offering, they uh, they usually um, uh, would put you in the best in class position, mm -hmm. uh, and and therefore it's even more interesting to understand so how many people are actually working for uh, maintaining the existing interfaces, which are now mainly probably an app, mobile, mm -hmm. uh, um, um, and desktop, and building new stuff just to get the uh, mm -hmm. wannabe. Bold.com's an understanding. How yeah, much I, I, I can't. I can't make that, uh, that that difference because if you look at IT, we we, we use DevOps, mm -hmm. which means you build it, you run it, you love it. So the people who who build new stuff are are also maintaining what mm -hmm. we have. So it's it's mixed. We have like eight nine hundred people working in IT or IT related. Uh, uh, topics. So Does it also include people that are managing the system here in a warehouse? Uh, the IT system, yes. People who run the warehouse, I'm, I don't count them as, as, yeah. as tech and IT, although it's quite technical. Yeah. Um, but roughly, you could say that a little less than half the company, uh, I think what, somewhere between one third and a half, is really techy. They are really working on the tech stuff all the time. Uh, but their job is to both run and maintain it and, and, and develop it. But what you say then, and that's a lot of people, uh, um, and, and, and I think the listeners can make the numbers up how much money it costs to maintain such, such a team. Um, if you look at the list of feature requests 2019 mm -hmm. versus 2018, which list is longer that or is. more complex? <laughs> the lists are only getting longer uh, and only more complex. And, and, and our biggest challenge now is to manage those lists. I mean, we, we are an agile company. We, we started uh, introducing agile already in 2009. And then we had like seven uh, scrum teams. And it was kind of nice because every scrum team had very distinct thing to do. One was looking for the warehouse. The other was doing the search. The other was doing the catalog. But now we have something like 90 to 100 of these teams. And setting priorities, making choices. 90 scrum teams. Yeah. yeah. So setting priorities, making choices 
is really complex. So one of the things that you're really looking into now is how do we build, how do we work with agile at scale? Mm. How do you make flight levels, decision levels, where you group the demand of, uh, of, of solutions and make decision levels away from the board? Because the board is the worst place to make the decisions. Yeah. The decisions, the ideas should come from the people who actually talk to your customers every day, who are in your warehouse every day, who talk with your sellers every day, you look at what customers are doing on the website. They should have the ideas. They should come up with the plans and they should make the decisions. And the trick is how do you make clear decision points in your warehouse where you can still, or in your, in your organization, where you can still oversee your platform. What would you say are then your biggest challenges today? If uh, um, if I would uh, take the Amazon example again, and from, even from the outside, I don't know if uh, Ralf Kleber would uh, uh, would agree to that. Um, there's like two main problem. One is like a PR problem problem mm -hmm. because uh, um, um, they have been cornered by uh, unions and a couple mm -hmm. of uh, uh, PR stuff that happened in the last two years. Uh, they're destroying like inner cities, blah blah blah, all this mm -hmm. stuff. And the other problem right now is um, the catalog became so big um, that the problems at delivery are growing right now. So mm -hmm. there's uh, the the quota of not delivered products, wrong delivered products, wrong prognosed delivery times, all the stuff that is increasing because the share of the marketplace yeah. is increasing, yeah. and therefore um, there's less control over the the, yeah. the assortment. That's that stuff very hard to solve. So if if you would look into your main main topics, your daily agenda, the, what are the stuff you're working on right now? Well, we are working on improving the marketplace, both for customers and for sellers. Um, we want to do a lot more, facilitate our sellers a lot more. We want to give them all the tools that the, our ambition is that the tools that our own commercial people have should be available in exactly the same way for our sellers. So it is a, a level playing field and you can actually be an entrepreneur on a platform. You're not just somebody who delivers the goods. You can look at your catalog, look how good your content is. We can tell something about your prices. What would happen if you reduce your delivery time? Um, and we already communicate a lot, but we want to improve the tooling there. So that's very important. Um, we want to continue developing our last mile. And one of the most important things, and it's touches what you brought up yourself, is that not only do we want, do we want to improve our last mile further, give your customer even more choice, But we also want to make sure that everything that works for our own shipments also works for the shipments of our sellers. And we have a lot of focus on that. And we have a lot of ideas which I cannot completely um, uh, disclose because some of them I think are, are quite unique uh, in, in which we think about ways to make sure that our sellers have all the opportunities and all the, f the features on, on their uh, shipment that our own uh, warehouses have. And, and if we succeed in that, we not only... Um, have a more consistent proposition to the customer because right now, um, if you buy, and, and it's the same on Amazon, if you buy from our warehouse what we ship, um, you get a different proposition as, as if it's shipped with the seller. And we want to allow the seller to have the similar proposition on last mile. Uh, and in the, uh, in the same step, we will have a lot more uh, insight in their quality and we can a lot more help them improve their quality because it is a familiar problem of course if you run your own warehouse if you have your own shipping it's a lot easier to get grip of the control of the the quality than when you have 20 30 000 others trying to ship the goods 
you know, one, one of the uh, major complaints of sellers in Germany uh, over all marketplaces is there's um, the increasing competition from Chinese sellers. Yeah. So there's more and more Chinese yeah. um, companies, Chinese yeah. entrepreneurs yeah. selling um, at eBay, um, yeah. at real.de, uh, especially on Amazon. So there's yeah. numbers going around from 30 to 50% of the whole merchandise is now yeah. directly managed to Chinese uh, vendors. Yeah. And then the, um, let's say, the average seller can't compete anymore because yeah. there's no there's no value at in his uh, uh, in his doing. Do you see the same here in Bold.com? No. no, we have a very strong focus on local sellers. The, our our answer to the international platforms, and that's that's just our spot in the market. Our answer to the international platforms is that when the international platforms are when they really want to focus on the Netherlands and Belgium, when they really want to come across, they will be aggressive and they don't care about anything in these countries except that it's 0.2% of the world market and they just squeeze it and see if they can get it. What we want to do is we want to focus on bringing, truly bringing the entrepreneurs in the Netherlands and Belgium together and join forces to build a great website for the Dutch and Belgium market. So the, the first people who we talk to, the first people we communicate with and the first sellers who we take care of are the sellers who are in the Netherlands, who are in Belgium, who have the basis here, who know the language, who are in this country, um, and who have the same uh, perception of quality of product, of service that we all have in this country. But but how, how do you manage then the conflict between customer focus and and, and seller focus? Because there might be a Chinese yeah. seller and not, and not all of them are bad. Though no, most no, of I them agree. are like yeah. decent, uh, yeah. uh, decent, decent entrepreneurs. Um, and maybe they, there's like a, a Chinese entrepreneur with a much better access to HDMI cables mm -hmm. than all the Belgian and uh, Dutch yeah. entrepreneurs um, mm -hmm. are. And then you need to give or grant him or her access mm -hmm. and then at the next uh, next moment, uh, those entrepreneurs will knock at your door and say, Rup, you promised us uh, we should stick together. And yeah. now there's these Chinese sellers on the platform. How do you manage that? Now, so far, there's no Chinese sellers on the platform. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's an easy and, solution. And, and, and I, I wouldn't say never. You never say never. But uh, because if, if, it, if really push comes to shove and you have to make uh, uh, exceptions to make it work for the customer, you have to do this. But it's the last thing that we will ever do. Because we really have to look at the Dutch and Belgian market first. And the, the dominant uh, presence in our, in our sales platform, and that for sure, will always be Dutch and Belgium sellers. Has there any categories, any assortments that never worked out on Bull.com? No, but we did a lot of experiments that failed, many of them. Uh, one of them that failed terribly was we tried to sell contracts with phones. You know, the, the, the monthly payment contracts. Yeah. Uh, because and, and it failed... For one important reason, we believed in long tail. And in nine out of 10 cases, we were so terribly right with long tail that we thought there's a long tail of telephone contracts. And we will sell the long tail of telephone contracts. And customers didn't have a clue what we were doing. Because normally they say, you, you can buy this phone or this phone, this phone. You can pay five euros a month or 20 and you get the phone for free. And here you pay 40 and you pay 10 for the phone or whatever. And we said, but there's an endless amount of combinations. Because the... The sponsoring of the phones is a kickback from the contract. Now, if we make that transparent, we can say you can have this contract and you can have so much megabytes a month and so much minutes of calling. Then you can either have this phone, this phone, or this phone. And if you have another contract, you have this the same phones, but with another price. And But we also can give you, not a phone, but just give you a, a, a coupon. So we made many combinations and, it, and you could find the sweet spot for your need, but customers couldn't figure out how it worked.
We never oh, got okay. it clear enough. Yeah, that's a good answer uh, for Ben Waldring, uh, uh, who was our first guest uh, uh, at the Wimlex. <laughs> so, <laughs> still very so you successful have to, you have in to, Long tail is nice, but sometimes you just have to make it simple. Okay. <laughs> um, and then there's, and I have a question. There's a lot of a lot of sayings about like culture at bold.com, uh, yeah. uh, how it is received in uh, um, um, uh, from your. Uh, by your customers and inside the company, yeah. almost at a level um, Zappos uh, was known for. Not the same <laughs> level still, but it's like the, there's like, there's uh, there's some magic around. Can can you elaborate on this a little? Yeah, bit? Yeah, I, I think that one of the, the the success reasons for Bold.com was the atmosphere that we had in the early days. Um, uh, it was informal. It was fun, and and I think fun is a very important business goal because if you make fun together then then you're very motivated um, and, and you're willing to take risks because you enjoy the company of the people around you and it, it sounds very soft but it is, it is a very hard business thing um, so what we did is as we were growing we, we said well we have to we have to maintain these these cultural values and the cultural value with one of them is we help each other we stick together we work together and the other one is we trust each other and trust is a very important value Uh, and trust in big companies is very difficult because before you know it, in big companies, people are saying, "Well, our, our department is doing great, but the other guys in the other building they don't understand what don't understand what we're doing." So if you if you're growing bigger, you really have to invest in trust, um, and we invest in trust because that is the basis for autonomy. And if you have autonomy, you can um, you can foster entrepreneurship. And if you have entrepreneurship, you are far more dynamic in figuring out uh, new solutions. And you are far more capable of being customer focused. So everything is around trust because trust is the basis for autonomy, and autonomy is the is the foundation of entrepreneurship. But it's easy to say that or paint trust uh, yeah. uh, uh, at the wall. And, and we are we have been talking yeah. our last hour hands at Spriker about uh, company values, and we say it's uh, trust, speed without budget. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's I easy like to paint this. Uh, yeah, no, you shouldn't uh, paint it on the wall. wall. There's nothing on the wall. But how, how do you establish it at the headquarters? Well, first of all, is leading, leading by example. So the first thing you should do as a CEO, as a management team, is not take all the decisions, is, is give people the opportunity to take the decisions. So I won't take all the decisions. I might ask questions. I'm curious, but I don't take all the decisions. I'm not clever enough to take all the decisions. So that's a good thing. Um, so that's, that's one of them. And the other way is you really have to organize it. You really have to organize, have a structure in which you, in which you uh, are capable of, of giving autonomy. Um, uh, if, you, if you look at uh, Scrum, Scrum gives freedom to the team. There's a lot of autonomy in the team, but there's, there's a lot of rules in Scrum. The, the Scrum teams have more rules than an average uh, department. So you have to figure out what what's the framework with, within which you have the freedom. So when we, our commercial uh, part of the company is now also organized in 42 independent commercial teams. And so we don't have a buying department and a, a supply chain and an online marketing We don't have that. We have them, but they are not working that way. We have a team that sells electronics or TVs. And they have somebody who does buying, somebody who does supply chain, somebody who is in uh, online marketing. And they work together and their only focus is making the best TV store there ever was. That's their focus. And they have the capability and authority to do that. But there's a structure around it to make that work. Because you constantly have to look at these teams. And, and the interesting thing is that The attitude of your organization changes from let's tell them how to sell television, televisions, let's tell them how let's tell them how to buy stuff, let's tell them to let's look at how this team is working and how can we make them perform better. 
And it's not as soft as it looks because you look at the same things. Are they successful? Do they make the turnover? Do they have their, is their customer NPS score good enough? Are they, have, do they have enough focus on the customer? Do they have enough focus on the margin? How can we improve? What do they need? How do they work differently? But you don't do the actual work. You facilitate the work in the team and make sure that the teams are optimized. So we have coaches that look at these teams and in waves, they do waves. Every three months, they start a new wave of improvement. They look at the way of working. They look at the success that these teams have and say, okay, for the next coming three months, we are going to focus on this part of the business and improve it for the 42 teams. And the interesting thing is that now we are focusing on how people are working, what conditions we create to make it work, but we are not focusing on what they need to do to be successful because that's exactly what these people know. And as companies get bigger, they start to tell people top down what you need to do to be successful. And actually people telling it don't know because they're not in touch with the customer. Yeah, I think the hard part is to maintain this kind of culture uh, at the size yeah. uh, you are right yeah. now. So it's, uh, it sounds doable with a couple of hundred people, uh, uh, but, uh, but it's very hard. But I will ask some, uh, some bold employees. So yeah, we're ask them. We're running a little bit of time, but I have two yeah. or three uh, uh, more very important questions here. So, uh, um, so one would be, um, the, uh, um, uh, uh, you're growing on a very decent rate year over year. Yeah. Um, uh, What, what, what limits this kind of growth? What limits you to grow 50% per year? What is like the most limiting factor? Well, at this point, the, 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 the limit, one of the limits that we have is can we build up logistics fast enough? So real brick and mortar. Real brick and mortar logistics. And of course, there's always, if we have more IT, we could do more. But there's a limit to what you can invest and what you can manage. So we never have a lack of ideas. I think the market is, is, is bigger than what we are actually taking in. Um, Uh, but we're always eager and we always think it's not good enough because you shouldn't be happy with the growth you have today. You shouldn't be happy with the proposition you have today. But if you look at limits, it's there's no lack of ideas. There's no lack of enthusiasm. There's not enough time to make everything we want to make to make this work. And that is in IT, but also in physical logistics nowadays. Oh, crazy. Uh, and then another question I'd like to ask you, uh, because you're not so uh, uh, you're not so present in the German market, and uh, we are always um, not bullying, but making fun about some older retailers uh, in Germany because they have a very hard time to become real digital. Uh, um, you probably know brands like Rossmann, a big drugstore drug in Germany, or Pieck and Kloppenburg is yeah, uh, very yeah. active here in yeah. the Netherlands. And um, yeah. if you were in the position of their uh, uh, of their um, uh, management. Uh, yeah. and, and, and you, you know there's uh, Zalando coming and some other companies coming and you see probably similar companies here uh, um, in the Netherlands. Um, you started very early. So that is, yeah. you said that's part of your uh, success story, um, the, yeah. uh, the pioneer effect. Um, do you have like a, a general advice for those companies how to act today? Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, yes, but before I say this, I have to say I have a lot of respect for the retailers because in the Netherlands we see retailers struggling also. And I know for a fact that's a lot more difficult to keep a struggling retailer going than it is to make Bottlecom grow. So it, they have a huge challenge. But in generally, in, in the Netherlands, as at least we always say, don't do it alone. You don't have the skill, you don't have the expertise, you don't have the time to do it alone. Work together and work together in a platform. Because you can't do it alone anymore. It's too late. You either are a digital native and you are the platform or you are a retailer that has to focus, has to accept the fact that more and more of your sales goes online. 
And if you're big enough, you have to have your own online presence. And if you're smaller, you have to work together on a platform to make sure you still take part of that uh, sales online. And you have to ask yourself, where do I add value? Why is it necessary and useful to have a store? And, and focus on that part of the store and the rest, make sure you are available online. And combining forces is a good thing to do because customers are moving to platforms. Customers, I always ask people in a room when I have a presentation, I ask them, how often are you at your PC? And by the way, they're not often at a PC, but not at a phone, but it's the same thing. How often are you at your PC and are you actually typing www.something? How often do you really do that? And how often do you use the eight blocks that your browser shows you where you, that you visited recently? And most people realize that they only click those eight. There's not much else that they type in. So how, and, and, and I'm saying that knowing that there are 2.5 billion websites. So now you're opening your online presence as whatever retailer. You're one of the 2.5 billion. Your customers are focusing on these eight dots. And with apps, it's not much different. So how are you thinking that you can, can, can get that brain, brain position that these platforms have? So I think you should look carefully which platform you want to join. So you would, so to summarize that, you would say it's probably too late to become the next Bo.com or the next Zalando for an average I, I really hope that there's a really true good entrepreneur in Germany that has the guts and the money and the stamina because you, you need to be tough and to really go for the platform. But you shouldn't go from the platform taking care of what you have. The biggest problem that retailers had, and we've seen it in the Netherlands all the time, is that they can't let go of the idea that whatever they do online hurts their stores. And, and my device is keep the cannibals in the family. You will be eaten. You better eat yourself. So don't hold back from the thought that what you sell online um, has an impact on what you have in the stores. Just ruin the stores because if you don't, somebody else will ruin them and then it's all lost. And that's the biggest struggle that they have. And, and the other struggle that they have is that they don't understand that it's a different business. In the early days, a lot of retailers said, well, online buy now is my biggest store. And I thought, you're going to lose. Because if you look at it, it's just another store. It's not good enough. Mm. Okay, that, that, that's, I think, a very clear advice. And my last question here would be, um, when we are looking uh, from our like uh, German perspective into other inspiring business models, um, within the last year, Picnic often came up uh, yeah. because it's, it's kind of really disrupting uh, the way how we can yeah. how we can uh, uh, buy our um, um, I want to say uh, buy and sell, but there's no marketplace uh, idea now with food for B 2 C, but uh, buy our uh, buy our uh, uh, grocery. Um, if you're looking around, is there any businesses, uh, especially online businesses, that inspire you? Um, Apart from Bo.com, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think uh, uh, there's a lot of online businesses that are inspirational and, and not only uh, in, the, uh, in the online uh, retail. I mean, there's, there's the, the, the Ubers and stuff, and they have all their issues. But there's a lot to be learned from these companies. And, and the interesting about Uber and Airbnb is that they show you how you can scale fast. And they scale fast by facilitating the market and not being the actual uh, player in the market. And that's really interesting, those models. And the next thing they have to solve is how do you make sure that your value perception and your quality perception is consistent? And I always look at other uh, uh, platforms and try to figure out how are they managing their... Because we are a brand and, and the... the uh, Bold.com has a strong brand name, which was founded by a guy who was really good at marketing. And he said, a brand is something that has a recognizable name um, and it always behaves the same. 
So whatever happens, uh, you always know how it, how it ends. Um, and that's a very important thing to keep in mind, especially if you talk about marketplaces. Keep in mind that your brand is a perception of, I know what I'm going to get. It's easy because it's the same thing all over again. And they come back to Bold.com, they come back to Amazon because they know they can run through the checkout. They don't even look, they click twice and they're gone. And then I know what's going to happen. And I'm never disappointed in the experience. So you really have to figure out how are other platforms managing that part of the business? How do you make sure that you're never disappointed in experience? Because if you don't, it's your last year. That's a very good closing sentence, uh, <laughs> I, 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 would, I would say. I hope we can uh, discuss uh, some aspects of your uh, company a little bit further, maybe on some um, German stages, uh, because it's a very Amazon-focused uh, discussion right now, and it's mm -hmm. a very ins uh, inspiring case uh, you're presenting. Yeah, Thanks a lot for inviting Welcome. us uh, the second time. I nice hope being here. I hope this time somebody yeah. else than only you can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I hope so, too. Yeah. Thanks a lot, and good luck uh, with the end of the year business. Thank you. Yeah. I hope you liked this episode. I at least am very impressed about what Bold.com has achieved and um, I'm really convinced that there's no reason for them to fear Amazon. In the next episode, you will hear Paul from Contagious.com. He has some very interesting insights about uh, what marketing today must do and what kind of different tactics need to be applied if your marketing should be successful. And uh, after that, we will listen to uh, the uh, founder of HelloPrint. Um, we have also invited him to our podcasting show during the Depth Festival in um, Amsterdam. And Hans is telling us about the uh, changings in the printing market, in the European printing market, and why HelloPrint is so successful. So have a nice day. Yeah.